The Science of Speaking Clearly. Up next on The Scope. Examining the latest research and telling you about the latest breakthroughs. The Science and Research Show is on The Scope. I'm talking with Dr. Sarah Hargis-Ferguson, Associate Professor of Communication Sciences and Disorders at the University of Utah. So I have a scenario for you to ponder. I have a grandfather-in-law who um, is getting older, and he's uh, definitely having a hard time hearing other people speak. What are your basic suggestions for how we can help people like that understand what we say? Well, audiologists have a number of strategies that we offer to family members if they're having trouble communicating with someone who's hard of hearing. And so we'll have things like make sure they can see your face, make sure you're, you're reducing any noise that's in the background. And another thing that we almost always say is speak slowly and clearly. And so what does that mean, slowly and clearly? Well, it's it's sort of one of these things where we sort of assume that talkers know what to do. We say, speak slowly and clearly, and maybe they'll do something like this, which <laughs> is just slower, or maybe they'll do something like this. There's a lot of variability in what people do. There's the earliest research in this, um, in the mid-'80s at MIT, looked at whether or not this clear speech actually is easier to understand this clear speech being the speech that people get when you tell them to speak clearly. Mm-hmm. Um, and it showed that, yes, it is easier to understand, which is, that's a good thing. Um, and they did some acoustic analyses at that time trying to get at the question of what makes clear speech clear. There are lots of things that are different about clear speech acoustically versus conversational speech. So we know that it's slower. We know that it's louder. We know that talkers do things like release um, the final consonants on words, but we don't know what actually matters from an understanding standpoint. So we don't know which things actually help. Let's take one part of this, like talking about the vowels. So what is it you think that the hard-to-hear listener can't hear? Well, you can think of vowels um, partly like playing notes together on a piano. There's usually um, energy at, at usually two sort of target frequencies for each vowel, these frequencies are called formant frequencies, and they have to do with the position of your tongue. Uh-huh. So when you move your tongue from e to a to u, you're changing the resonant characteristics of your mouth, and that moves those formants or these notes around. Okay. And so e and u, that lower of the two notes, the F1, the first formant, is the same. But the second note, F2, I is see. quite different. Okay. So around 2,000 hertz is a, very, is a very, very important frequency, and that's about where that second note or the second format of these vowels falls. And so if you can't hear F2, that higher. E and U are going to sound the same. So how mm-hmm. would you fix something like that in a speaker? Mm-hmm. We, we know that if they move their vowels just generally further apart from each other. So E and A are pretty far apart acoustically. Um, A and U are pretty far apart acoustically, and there's other vowels in between, they kind of spread out that, we call that a vowel space. If we spread out that vowel space, that tends to make them easier to understand. Mm-hmm. But telling a talker how to do that is a little challenging. And what about consonants? What are some of the tricky ones there? Well, um, for people who have, so the typical hearing loss that we get as we get older um, affects the high frequencies. And so what you're missing mostly there are consonants that we call stops. So p, t, k, b, d, g. Those have which is a high lot of frequency, them. which is a lot of them, and they've got high frequency energy. And then our fricative sounds, so s, sh, those sounds. Uh-huh. Um, and so what the complaint that we often hear is that speech is loud enough because if you've got good hearing in the low frequencies, you're hearing vowels, you're hearing people's voices just fine. Like the loudness of it is just fine. But without those um, 
without your stop and fricative consonants, everything sounds sort of muffled. So that um, the Charlie Brown teacher voice, you know, where you're missing that high frequency stuff. And so as far as what happens to consonants in clear speech, we know that people put more energy. Um, I mentioned before about how they, um, they release their final consonants. So instead of saying bit, they'd say bit. Mm-hmm. And then so they've got this nice, so that t part is called the burst. Um, they, first of all, it's there, <laughs> so it's not unreleased. Um, but also they tend to put more energy. So, so the s and sh sounds tend to be um, higher in intensity and then also more distinct from each other acoustically. So s gets a little more higher in pitch and sh gets a little lower in pitch. To move them apart from each other. So, so you've identified, you know, some of these vowels, and and you also know of some of these consonants that give people trouble. Mm-hmm. So, how do you take it to the next step to figure out how to make those clear to the listener? Mm-hmm. The approach that I have chiefly taken, I refer to as a talker differences approach. My dissertation involved recording forty-one talkers producing conversational speech and clear speech, and there's huge variability among those forty-one talkers in terms of what they do acoustically and in terms of um, how much clearer their speech sounds, whether it's easier to understand. And so I use statistical techniques to figure out, okay, I've got this change in how understandable speech is, and I've got these acoustic changes. Which of these acoustic changes are actually correlated with the improvements in speech understanding? So, so you're taking real people's speech mm-hmm. and figuring out Okay, here are my clear talkers. Mm-hmm. What is it that they're doing that mm-hmm. is making them understandable? Mm-hmm. What do you hope to do with this information? So what I really hope to do is have um, an intervention that I could apply to the frequent communication partners of people with hearing loss, so our patients who have hearing loss. Um, it's, it can be their spouse, but it could be their children, it just anybody that they talk to a lot, and have a quick and dirty test we can do on that communication partner, figure out, you know, tell them to speak conversationally, tell them to speak clearly, and see, are they effective? Like if, I had some, if I knew what made clear speech clear, I could do an acoustic analysis right on the spot and know if they're an effective clear speaker. Then if they're not, there would be an intervention mm-hmm. where we could say, okay, here is how you need to speak for your partner to be able to understand you better. And they could practice this, report how it went. Um, and this would be part of an overall oral rehabilitation program that we would have with a patient with hearing loss. So it could involve hearing aids if they were motivated to get them. Um, and, and clear speech would just be one of many communication strategies that you could work on. Interesting, informative, and all in the name of better health. This is the Scope Health Sciences Radio.